Our scripture this morning is Psalm 27. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Mary Colley is coming to read Psalm 27. Listen as I read. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence." I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, folks. Uh, my name is Lou Damiani. I'm one of the several former pastors at Sojourn here who make this my church home. Uh, Peter Scazzaro makes this startling statement, which to some may sound even a bit scandalous. It is impossible to be truly spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. His point, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inextricably linked. The scriptures, especially the Psalms, may say this a bit differently. Emotional honesty to God in our praying is absolutely necessary for spiritual intimacy with God in our spirit. You can't separate that as well. You cannot have one without the other. At Sojourn, we are in the midst of a sermon series called The Psalms of the People, which includes several psalms which are chosen by some of you, and 
the one we read this morning is Psalm 27. That's the one we will be considering today. So go there in your Bible with me or in your electronic device. Psalm 27. If you were the, by the way, if you were the one who chose this psalm to be preached on, great choice, because this is a choice psalm. This is designated as a psalm of David. Likely not a particular event prompted the writing of this psalm, but rather a series of events over an extended period of time in David's life. And most likely it was during the time when he was this 13-year period between roughly when he was 17, 18, to when he was 30, when he was relentlessly and unfairly being pursued by King Saul and his men, attempting to kill him because of Saul's intense jealousy toward him. So this psalm consists of like four different paragraphs, verses 1 through 3, 4 through 6, 7 through 10, 11 through 14. But more significantly, there's two distinct sections. In fact, these two segments are so different in both mood and subject matter that some commentators have even suggested this psalm had to be written at two different times and one guy even suggested, no, this was written by two different people. At first glance, we can see why. Because in the first three verses, David is all spiritually geeked with God confidence. Listen to him. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? No one. The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? No one and nothing. When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war rise against me in spite of this. I shall be confident. Well, that's some confidence that he's expressing here. And so, then you look at verses 7 through 9. You take the contrast. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. When thou didst say, seek my face, my heart said, thy face, O Lord, I shall seek. But do not hide your face from me now. Do not turn away from your servant in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me, O God of my salvation. Well, how do we explain this? It's like David has spiritual bipolar disorder. He's going from one mood to another in the same passage. How can this be explained? I have one word. It's a very important word. Normal. This is normal. The typical Christian life is not without emotional down-in-the-dumps, difficult times when we feel discouraged, Defeated, depleted, and even destitute. That is not unspiritual. 
That is normal. Fearful, worried, weary, even wondering, like him, God, where are you? Sometimes, right after you've gotten done praising, this is called being human. Especially when going through normal trauma, drama times in our lives. So this is what Psalm 27 actually looks like to me. It looks like my journal. It looks like my journal. My times when God, when I'm processing life through him, through his word and through prayer and through reciting his promises and writing it out, recording it. I've done this for over 20 years now. I highly recommend it to you. It's so therapeutic. When I travel, I'll often take an old journal with me. So when Patty and I went to Maine for our 50th anniversary trip, I took my journal from the year 2012 and reread it. And so many of my entries were just like this. Not surprising, because it's the normal Christian life. Writing down God confidence is one minute. In a paragraph or two later, I'm in a des- feeling desperate, fearful, writing something different. David is journaling, he's processing, he's praying, and he's writing. And may I say to you, my beloved, this is intimacy with Jesus that feeds the soul and settles the heart. Honest communication to God through prayer, through the Word. I believe a main reason why the Spirit of God preserved these great psalms for us today and not by chance are there 150 of them was to provide for us templates that we ourselves how to experience God that we ourselves can experience, including templates of prayer, including templates, honestly, of how to be emotionally honest to God in our praying. These psalms are filled with that. So let's take a walk with David through his journal. And this is, again, if you're taking notes, verses 1 through 3 are... David's confidence in God. Verse 1, his confidence in who God is. The Lord is my light, my source of truth, my joy, and my salvation, my, my ultimate deliverance. Who then shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Of whom or of what shall I dread? Then in verse 2, David recalls to his mind what God has already done. When evildoers came upon me, to devour my flesh, my adversaries, and my enemies. They stumbled and fell. And so you can just imagine the many instances this man had from Goliath on even before that of how God showed up big time to deliver him. And the only way he'd be standing or sitting and writing right now is that God's hand had sovereignly saved him from sure death. And he's recalling that healthy, where his enemies literally stumbled and fell before him. 
those miraculous God moments of supernatural deliverance. But he also knew that his battles were far from over because these folk were still in hot pursuit of him. So in verse 3, he intentionally reminds himself of God, what God will do. Though a host, even in camp around about me, my heart will not fear. Though even an entire war should rise up against me, in, st- in spite of this, I shall be confident. Confident in what? in God's character, and in God's competency to be God to him and for him in that moment. So where did he get this confidence? The only way we get it. And as important as it is to memorize verses and to read read the Bible, tell yourself truth, Your confidence comes at the level you obey the scriptures. When you put God's word to the test, that's what he did and obeyed it. Including in some very difficult and fearful situations when he wanted to do the opposite. Christian, truly following Christ, are going to involve many faith steps individual faith steps that are not going to be easy to make and your flesh is not going to be wanting to take them those are the test moments for you many will be downright fearful steps faith steps are simply obedient steps in the power of God's spirit not your strength the power of God's Spirit, in spite of your fears. There are over 100 commands in Scripture not to fear. And what I'm about to tell you now, I wished I would have heard when I was much younger. The Bible does not mean you are not to feel the fear. You're human. You're going to feel the fear. It means you don't follow it. You don't cave into it. You don't obey it. You don't let it dictate your choices. Feel it. Acknowledge it. Don't obey it. Then openly step out, trusting God's power to work through you, and that's when you will experience him. My first lead pastorate was in... um, in Nowheresville, Ohio, uh, or Backwardsville. The county's name was Ashtabula, where I was privileged to pastor. And I don't know what Ashtabula means in Native American language, but it, to me it must have meant something like where people go to get away from people. So many moved to this particular county, and seriously, to hide with folk with deep relational wounds and growing out of those wounds a ton of fear attached to them. Over the years we were there, we were privileged to see God's Spirit move on that county. 
And many of these folk, including entire family units, came to faith in Jesus. But then came the time for them to be baptized. And at our church, like here, we would equip them to write out their faith story and give it publicly right before their baptism in front of the church. For many, once they heard in front of the church, this panic came over their face. And they'd look at me and say, Pastor, I, uh, I cannot do that. I can't speak in front of people. I'll stammer, I'll cry, I'll embarrass myself. It will be terrible. I just cannot do that. Then it would be my turn to talk. And I would say, I hear you. I get that. Been there, felt that. But I have some great news for you. Wonderful news. It's not up to you. God can and will through you do the speaking. Because here's the deal about the Christian life. It's not about you. And this is a great time for you to experience it right at your baptism. It's about God's supernatural strength being able to work through you, including through your greatest weaknesses. That's what the Christian life is all about. That's why we've been given the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called the enabler and the comforter. He's the power that speaks through us and works through us. On the day of your testimony, when you get up there, you will personally discover this for yourself, but not until then. How God's power is far greater than your greatest fears. A day would come. They would still be feeling the fear of it all. We would say and we would pray with them, just tell Jesus you're afraid, acknowledge that fear, and simply ask him to speak through you this morning. Walking up to the platform, they're still shaking. They can hardly get up there. You can see it. Then they get up there. They open their mouth. And you could literally see the Spirit of God take over. The fear was gone. Yes, because when we face our fear and the power of the Spirit, fear dissipates. But only until then. It's not going to dissipate with you sitting on the couch. It goes when we face it. After their baptism... They come up to me, man, it was like the Jesus juice was flowing through them. I mean, they were so, they may have dragged into the church, but they were floating out of it now. Oh, pastor, you were right. I wanted to say pastors are usually right, but then that would have been very, very bad. So I, I um, just once they did this, they experienced the power of God as a step of faith. Here's the truth. That the more we follow fear, that's where the sin is. That's where the bondage is. That's where the loss of inner peace and joy is. And what you gain is to feel more stressed, oppressed, and depressed when you follow your fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, child of God. Fear is Satan's trump card. Fear is to Satan what faith is to God. 
You will experience God, experience him. Christianity begins to come alive to you. Experience him at the level of your obedience. Nothing short of that. Confidence is the child of obedience. Confidence is the child of obedience. This is what David discovered by practice. Now his inner confidence in God naturally flowed into desire for intimate communion with God. Verses 4 through 6, David's communion with God. He says, This one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Understand, he's not saying, Boy, I know I'm supposed to be a king, but I'd like to be a priest. He's not saying that. To behold the beauty of the Lord. What he's desiring here is to spend time with God in communion with him. And to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices and shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. He is simply saying, he has learned by experience that intimacy with God is the pathway for all that his heart longs for, the contentment, the inner peace, the security, a life that thrives instead of just survives. I want you to notice that this man had a thriving life in the midst of trauma. That is to be underlined. That is to be emphasized for us. It's not just that he was miracle boy. It's like he's normal. His life was thriving in the midst of trauma and drama. No matter how many enemies were in hot pursuit of him, verses 5 through 6 are the fruit of his communion with God. He is brimming with confidence. He's basically saying to his enemies, bring it on, boys, because <laughs> God's got my back. He's going to vindicate my name. He will ultimately lift up my head above you. I will not have to do it. Here is why David had enemies and was in the midst of the, all the turmoil and trauma he was in. There's three reasons why we suffer. Number one, we suffer because we make poor choices and we're being disciplined. Number two, we suffer because we live in a fallen world and things happen to us naturally. But number three, we suffer for doing good in the face of evil. We suffer for doing right. We suffer wrong for doing what's right. David was in the latter category. That latter category is what it means to suffer for righteousness' sake. When you do right in the face of wrong and you get the ramifications of it. David was suffering his life in danger because he simply did what was right. I think now more than ever in the lifetime of anybody in this room has standing for God's truth in our culture been more costly. We live in a day when increasingly good is being called evil and evil is being called good. Our culture has, think about it, 
because it's scary, gone from just tolerating sexual perversion to now openly celebrating it. The judgment of God cannot be far off for our nation. Our response is to lovingly and consistently speak out God's truth as his lights in this deepening, dark world with courage, with God confidence. As we do and the more we do, you're going to have enemies. Just as Jesus did, just as Jesus promised that we would. Our words will be twisted, our motives maligned, our beliefs openly ridiculed and mocked. Part and parcel with truly being a Christ follower is the willingness to suffer such injustice without retaliation. Including times of having your own reputation being murdered through malicious and false accusation that is normal for a Christian following Jesus. Those times will come. Without defending yourself and without attacking your attackers may be the hardest part. We aren't to fight against enemies. The real enemy wants you to do that, the enemy of your soul. We are to pray for them and let God do the fighting for us. His job is to protect our reputation. Our job is to take 1 Peter 2.23 to heart. That tells us to do exactly what Jesus did when he was faced with being mocked, scorned, ridiculed, and unfairly crucified. While being reviled, he did not revile. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself who judges righteously. He kept entrusting himself who judges righteously. In his perfect time, God will vindicate you. And once he does and how he does will be absolutely amazing. Then, like David, you'll want to write some praise song, even if you aren't good at music. You will give him praise. Now in this passage, we've gotten through the first section, but now in this passage comes the meat of the text. In my mind, the shift where David goes from confidence in God to communion and communion with God to crying out to God, verses 7 through 9. Look at the first sentence in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Let's kind of take this apart just real briefly. Cry means cry in the Hebrew. It means what it says. He cried out loud with deep emotion. The word voice means with words, said out loud. Listen to the emotive honesty by which David prayed. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. When thou didst say, seek my face, my heart said to thee, Lord, thy face I shall seek, but now do not hide your face from me. 
Do not turn thy servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. His pleas are not sing-song. They're from the heart, from the depth of soul. They're guttural. They're not ritual or rote. They're raw. They're real. This is how to pray when you're stressed. This is how to pray when you're depressed. This is how to pray when you feel hopeless. Out loud, with tears. Get the emotion out. Talk to God about it. He's waiting. He's longing. He's listening. So to what extent have you yourself learned how to pray like this? Or practice praying like this? About the things that you are emotionally building up inside of you, the things you are fearing, the losses you are grieving, the crosses you are bearing, the disappointments, the frustrations, the hurts from others that we must honestly process with Jesus, the hurts from others in our past, in our present, We must honestly process them with Jesus, lest those very hurts over time turn into hates. Lest they harden our heart. This is what sadly, routinely happens with countless Christians. They just push emotional pain down without honestly and emotionally process it with Jesus. And it will emotionally shut you down. Then their Christian life becomes wooden. It becomes routine. It becomes robotic. There is an emotional lack of intimacy with Jesus because there's all this stored anger inside, this resentment, and some of it is at him, but you never taught them about it. They never talked to him about it. The point is, without emotional honesty to God, you can't have emotional intimacy with him. You can't have spiritual intimacy with him. He's going to feel distant. You're going to feel the loss. And then Christian, your Christian life becomes routine, doing the things right on the outside but inwardly shut down. Neil Anderson said it best, we must be real to be right. Emotional honesty with God is essential for emotional intimacy with him as well. I don't know why, and again, I've, been in churches, gosh, uh, at least 65 years now, been in tons of churches, been through a lot. I've never heard sermons on this. And so through the decade of Americanized Christianity, I've become to understand why we've become the frozen chosen, why we're so emotionally constipated. When did mantras like just suck it up, buttercup, become our theology and how to handle emotional pain? How did we miss or why did we ignore prayer templates like this in the Word of God? You can't ignore emotional pain and expect to spiritually and personally prosper. You just can't. We will not prosper stuffing our anger, repressing our resentments, failing to grieve our losses, 
by following our fears or running from our loneliness. It shuts us down. And the lies that surround that unprocessed pain becomes like repellent from God's word ever penetrating at the deep, at the depth of our heart as it was intended to do. So I'm, what I'm going to share with you right now, just real briefly, is how do you process it? It's so simple. Here's what you do. You open your Bible to a psalm like this, and you begin praying through it with open eyes, with your own pleas, your own emotional language, and your own tears. Open your Bible. Open your eyes, because you're reading this and praying it at the same time. Open your voice to pray out loud. Open your tear ducts for crying out loud, cry out loud. The more you do this, some wonderful exchanges will begin to take place, and let me share just four of them with you briefly. First of all, you're going to exchange your panic for his peace. When there is a release like this, there is a peace he definitely gives that goes far beyond all, all human understanding. That sense of heaviness and hopelessness within your heart begins to dissipate. Many of you have fears. He will exchange your cowardice for his courage through prayer like this. His power is released in you as well as the circumstances that are troubling you. He then gives you the inner strength in your spirit and the grace to face what must be faced to do what you must do in the right way. You exchange, third, you exchange relational hurts for his redemptive healing. Realize some of you have gone through some significant relational wounding at the hands of others. And you've been, some of you, struggling for this for a long time. The more you pray out to Christ and the pain of what you're feeling and talk to him about it, whether it's their neglect, whether it was their abuse or the offenses, how they left you feeling, the more you talk honestly to him about it, the deeper you will be able to forgive them from your heart in a way that frees your soul. For some of you, it may be helpful to write a letter out to God and then read it in your prayer time. And the more tears you shed, the better. It's cleansing. Certainly, there's caring friends and a counselor that can help you process through relational hurt, but guaranteed there's only one person that can heal you of them. Jesus Christ, who is both our wonderful counselor as well as our great physician. You will exchange your confusion for his clarity on your life, on your circumstance, on your heart, and on the work he is doing in your life. As well, he will bring to mind specific promises of Scripture because notice verses 9 through 10 there's a shift that takes place in Mr. David. He goes from, Lord, do not abandon me, to the very next verse. 
For my, when my father and my mother have forsaken me, the Lord will bring me up. He's basically saying, even, wait a minute, Lord, even in my worst case scenario, if my parents walked out on me, you will have my back. You will be enough for me. No matter what is missing, what is lacking, what has been taken from me in this life, for those of us who know Christ, when we seek him and ask of him, he will make up the difference. Even if our own parents should abandon us, even if one of our kids ends up turning on us, even if a spouse just walks out on us, the hurt will be horrendous. The wound will be deep, no doubt. But your God will never walk out or betray just the opposite. The more we cry out to him in our pain and process that pain, here's what he does. He not only over time heals us of those wounds, but ultimately makes us healers of others through those wounds. He will not cheat you because of what someone has done to you. But because and through the hurt, he will complete you by making it up and giving you a ministry to the very people who are hurting in the same way. This is why this psalm concludes in verse 13 and 14 as it does. David writes, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I personalize this to say, I would have despaired unless I believed I would see God's good hand in what he's allowed in my life while I still live. That's the next verse. Wait on the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait on the Lord. Wait is there for a reason. This one word command actually bookends this verse. There's a double emphasis. This is not a passive waiting. It's waiting for the Lord. Proactively, passionately pursue him in the midst of the trial including honest to God praying. My friend, God's sovereign plan in all of our lives is to skill us, <laughs> to fulfill us, to thrill us. And pain is part of the recipe. It is God's way to mature us. There are times when the pain is long-term and you feel as though it is absolutely killing you and overwhelming. And we are like, how can I see any good in this? But like with David, it's God's pathway to mature you, to maximize his impact through your life, and bring back his greatest blessing to your life. David was unfairly having to be on the run for 13 long years. But look what God produced in him and then through him. 
The marvelous psalms that we are reading, the promises, the assurance, the confidences, the prayer templates, the praise. Think of the millions, if not billions, of people that these psalms have ministered to through all the years because he squeezed it out of this man's life onto these pages through his spirit. There is a far greater David who experienced a far greater injustice and no one was more unfairly treated, not even close, than our Lord Jesus. And who actually did experience the abandonment of the Father in those very dark moments on the cross. He was abandoned at that moment so you and I would never ever have to be. Do you remember what he himself did and what he himself prayed? He cried out loud directly to the Father, verbally, with full emotion. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Today, he stands as our high priest. Been tempted every way we are, gone through every emotion. And he says, I'm your high priest. I can sympathize. Come to me. Cry out to me. I'm there for you. I understand. I'll work you through it. What's holding you back? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your all-sufficient sacrifice for us. We thank you for your all-sufficient word written by your spirit to our lives and hearts. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are more than enough, no matter. May your word sing and speak and seep into our spirit your truth. And I pray this in your faithful and good name. Amen.